A new year brings a new beginning. For all our listeners that own a business, we want to tell you about FedEx Office. If you are just starting or have been running your company for generations, FedEx Office gives you the best way to print marketing materials, posters, signage, graphics, and so much more. With FedEx creating, editing, saving, and ordering are fast and easy. We are teaming up with FedEx and Podgo to bring our listeners 30% off with your next order of $100 or more at podgo.co slash FedEx. That's podgo.co slash FedEx for 30% off your next order. FedEx, the world on time. Welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Sangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. We are officially using our new audio equipment this time. Yay! So hopefully it sounds a lot better, and thank you to everyone who donated I'll be giving mm-hmm. you a special shout out at the end of the episode with a special announcement as well. So say to the end. Yeah, you have to listen. Although, I mean, you could fast forward, but like, please don't. Yeah, don't fast forward all the way to the end. You're going to miss all the good stuff. Right? <laughs> don't be that person. So today's episode was a pick from our dad because our dad's birthday was on Saturday the yep. 6th. So this will be coming out. After his birthday. Yeah. All right. Now that my lips and my hands don't feel like Imhotep when he turns into a sand person. I was just going to say, it sounds like you you were snapped or blipped. I am very dry. So Same. Today's topic is the bloody benders. <sighs> you picked a good one. Yeah. And this is one that we had mentioned a long time ago, back when we covered Lavinia Fisher. Mm-hmm. because her story was very similar to the story of the bloody benders as far as like the murder bed and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So yeah, it only took us 37 episodes to get to it, but it's fine. I can't believe we've had 37 episodes. Yeah. So that was episode five. So it's only taken us what 32 to get here. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just think of it as like a golden delay, like with golden retrievers in one year out the other yep. 32 episodes. And we finally realized. Yep. It just took us a little while. It's fine. So information for this episode was pulled from the following sources. A 2018 All It's Interesting article by Wyatt Red, A 2018 Mental Floss article by our good friend, Miss Selenia. The Leather Rock Hotel Bed and Breakfast website by Wayne Hollowell. Legends of America. Kansas Historical Society. Kansas Memory. Murderpedia. PrairieGhost.com. And Wikipedia. PrairieGhost.com. That just sounds like a place I need to visit more often. I think you should, even though it looks like it was made from on like a GeoCities platform. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. So contrary to popular belief, the Midwest wasn't always a nice place to live. It still kind of isn't sometimes. Who said it was a nice place to live? <laughs> That's what I I'd like to know. I don't know. Everybody talks about like Midwest nice, like how we're such like nice people here. And it's like, you don't know shit. We are passive aggressive as fuck. (laughs) Right. Like you don't, you don't speak the language because nobody here is really that nice. It's like, 
everybody talks about how people on the East Coast are super blunt to the point where it's like kind of rude. We just do that when you're gone. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're not like the South where we try to cover it up with like, bless your heart. We just don't say anything to you. And then the second you're gone, we're like, wow, look, look at the trash leaving. Like, yep. Gross. Sorry about it. Super great. Kansas in particular, back in the 19th century, had seen its fair share of bloodshed as slavery advocates and free soilers, which are those pre-Civil War who opposed slavery and its expansion west, as they fought for land in the new territories of Kansas and Nebraska following the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854. Got it. A few years later, in April of 1861, the Civil War broke out, with the carnage moving west into Kansas as they declared themselves part of the Union. During the war, the Homestead Act was passed on May 20th, 1862, granting families 160 acres of surveyed public land for cheap, with the contingency that they settle and reside on that land for five years, encouraging those with the guts and the gumption to start expanding into the newly minted Western territories of the United States. So the, the caveat, they would think that in five years, if they had enough people doing it, like there would be settlements, enough settlements and stuff. Yeah, that the land would be cultivated enough that there would be, like, more towns and things like that. Got it. I suppose five years is about enough, especially since, like, you wouldn't have much else to do but build and expand at that point. But yeah. you've got to think... They didn't have Amazon to get resources, you know? Well, and it would take you a few years to get used to the land, to know kind of mm. what would grow in that area. And you also have to remember that a lot of it was prairie. So you'd have right. to like clear out the land too and get okay. rid of the natural grasses to be able to actually farm. So yeah, and those grasses are stubborn. Yep. Aggressive. Aggressive grass. Aggressive grass. Hashtag aggressive grass. <laughs> the prairie is dangerous. Hashtag aggressive grass. <laughs> I'd turn back if I were you. Grass. <laughs> Kansas didn't become a field of dreams overnight. Murder and crime continued to wend its way through the state as settlers battled with outlaws and fought off Indian attacks, especially when the Wazaje tribe was forcibly moved from their land into the new Indian territory. Southeastern Kansas was one of the roughest areas of the state, and that's where our story takes place. Makes sense. I'd be angry, too, if somebody just kicked me out of my house and put me in a studio space. Yep. Which is essentially what they did. Mm-hmm. That's such like toddler rules. Yep. This is my playground now. Bye. In 1870, five years after the end of the Civil War, a group of five spiritualist families decided to settle in western Labette County, seven miles northeast of what would become present day Cherryvale, Kansas, in 1871. So it was incorporated the year after they moved there. Okay. Of the five families, two left after a year, discouraged by the difficult conditions they encountered trying to cultivate the land, battling droughts, wildfires, and high temperatures, which they probably weren't used to. Yeah. Two others mostly kept to themselves, leaving one family that stood out from the rest, the Benders. Oh, it sounds like a sitcom. It does. The Benders. The kind of assholes you should probably leave them alone. The Benders. They're totally gonna murder you in death grass. Death grass. <laughs> <laughs> if the benders will kill you, the prairie will. Death grass. <laughs> <laughs> this is the 
sitcom. It's actually just called Death Grass. <laughs> just called Death Grass. <laughs> and the benders are side characters. They're like the neighbors. <laughs> it's like Death Grass, and then it's like sh- shots of prairie, like murdering people, and then at the, <laughs> en- at the end, it's like with the benders. <laughs> right. The grass is just like sucking people down. Yep. It's like, like children of the sharks. corn. Children of the corn, but with grass. The Benders were a family of four, composed of John Bender Sr., who went by Pa, Elvira Bender, who went by Ma, son John Bender Jr., who was also known as Thomas, but I'm not going to refer to him as that because that's weird. That is weird. And daughter Kate. Pa, who was around 60, and Ma, who was in her late 40s, early 50s, reportedly spoke mostly German, while Kate and John Jr. spoke fluent English. Uh, It's said that John had a, John Jr. had like a slight German accent, but Kate had like no accent. Like you wouldn't be able to know that she was supposedly from Germany. Pa was a bear of a man standing over six feet tall. Oh, wow. He had dark black eyes hidden under huge bushy eyebrows, a heavy beard and long hair. He was often described as sullen and someone to avoid. That's funny because you know how people talk about resting bitch face? Yep. There is such a thing as German face. There is. I only know that because we are German too. Mm -hmm. And like we can look really scary when we're just like staring off into space thinking of like popsicles or something like totally irrelevant. (laughs) So if he has dark eyes and long hair and he's super tall for a dude at that time and old, which is... And has a scraggly beard. I mean, him being that age, too, like that would have been really rare in that area. So, yeah, he was probably absolutely terrifying. I would have been like, bye-bye. Yeah, no. Ma was heavyset and extremely unfriendly. The neighbors (sighs) often described her as a she-devil with a mean temper and many thought she was a witch. Awesome. I love how, like, if you were just not a nice person, you were a witch. Yep, you're just automatically a witch. Yeah. It's like the... spells. It's like, no, I'm just angry all the time. Have yep. you seen this death grass? <laughs> <laughs> I hate everything right now. I'm overweight and I can't, I can't mess with this, all right? This death grass is pissing me off. Something fierce. I can't make any potatoes, all right? Hold John Jr., who was around 25 was noted as being quite handsome with auburn hair and a mustache, while Kate, who was around 23, was described as quite beautiful and charming. John had a quirky personality. He'd regularly be seen laughing aimlessly, which some believe is a sign that he has some form of mental illness. Oh, no. I love how they're like, he was really handsome. And then you just picture this guy in the death crest going, (laughs) (laughs) death crest. Like just laughing to himself with a mustache. He's like twirling the ends of it. He's just like, <laughs> that's quirky. That's so quirky. He's the Zoe Deschanel of his time. He was. <laughs> no, I'm just picturing Zoe Deschanel with a mustache in Death Grass. Just laughing uncomfortably. <laughs> it's Jess. I mean, John. <laughs> he was often referred to as a half wit. Oh. Yep. Okay. Kate promoted herself as a spiritualist medium and healer, often holding sermons on free love, regular seances to commune with the dead, and even tried her hand at being a psychic. I wonder what free love would have been considered during that time. Because it no would be the same concept of free love in the 1960s and 70s. No. I wonder if it was more like, it's okay to sleep with your neighbors. It's, it's fine. Know. It's fine. It's fine. My neighbor is clean. Mm-hmm. Ish. 
we think. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure it's fine. If not, the death cl- the death grass will cleanse. Yep. Pa purchased 160 acres that was bordered by property owned by Ed Earns, who ran the Earn Brockman Trading Post, and Silas Toll. John Jr. purchased a small strip of land that bordered Paws on the north, a section of which included a natural pool and kept the benders from having any close neighbors to the north. Fun fact, John Jr. never actually lived on or settled the land he purchased. So he just used it so that it could protect his dad's land, essentially. Yep. And it had a, like, natural pool, so it could, I don't, he might have used it for livestock. Okay. Because the tract of land they had didn't really have a water source other than it had a small creek that went through it. Mm. So Yeah, that would have been more more ideal for animals. So I'm sure that's kind of why they why they bought it was That makes sense. We need to hydrate them somehow. Right. Or the murder grass will get them. <laughs> the tracks of land that the benders purchased were smack in the middle of the Great Lasage Trail, known today as the Santa Fe Trail. That was a missed opportunity. It should have been called the Lasagna Trail. <laughs> the Lasagna Trail. That's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> it's like the lasagna trail. That's adorable. So many layers of goodness. Go down the pasta path. <laughs> Wee. It'd be funny if it was windy too, like the lasagna noodles. It was a little windy in some parts. Oh my god! Oh, complete missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't know what lasagna was at that. They didn't have any Italians then. They didn't know. No. So they were smack in the middle of the Great Wasage Trail, known today as the Santa Fe Trail, where settlers and those continuing west would pass regularly. It was like one of the only trails that was pseudo protected by the government and a pseudo safe way to travel to the west, as opposed to just going through the open prairie and being like, fuck my shit up. So So it was kind of like one of the first real like paved, maintained areas. Yeah, in, I mean, the newly, in the newly minted state. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't paved by any means. It was just like a dirt no, road. But like, but like it, it was one of the actual roads. Yeah. So after securing their land, the benders soon got to work building what would eventually become a two-room cabin, barn with a corral, and a well. I saw later that they had two wells. So at some point, they made, they made a second one. Wow. Brag much? <laughs> we have two wells. Two wells and a creek? Wow. And a small pool. It's an in-ground pool. It's not an above-ground pool. That's even better. The 16 by 24 foot, or 4.9 by 7.3 meter, cabin included a 7 square foot, or 2.2 square meter, (laughs) cellar that was lined with a 3 inch thick rock base. That's not fishy at all. Nope. The barn was constructed on three sides with stone and sod, using hay purchased from a neighbor to thatch the roof. Ma and Kate Bender didn't actually arrive at the homestead until the fall of 1871, when the cabin was almost finished. Ma and Kate traveled via train to Ottawa, where they purchased furniture and supplies before making the 108-mile trip. I didn't look at kilometers, because whatever. (laughs) Via lumberwagon. I'll tell you the square meters, but everything else here on your own. Oh, fine. I'll Google it. What is 108 (laughs) miles and kilometers? 174 kilometers. A lot of kilometers. It's more, more kilometers than miles. Generally, yes. <laughs> it's more. It's more. So they made the 108 mile, 174 kilometer trip via lumber wagon to the Bender property. 
The front half of the cabin, which was separated by a canvas wagon cover, was converted into a dry goods general store that also held the kitchen and dining table, allowing travelers to stop for a meal and spend the night if necessary. So they actually had like a, a cot in the back where the vendors actually lived where people could okay. s- could sleep. So they weren't like sleeping in the store, you know. I was just going to say, was it more of like a bed and breakfast setup or it was just a store with like a makeshift room in the back just in- for emergencies? The makeshift room in the back was where the vendors actually lived. So that's where they had like their beds. Okay, so their guest bedroom was the cot. Yes, which was oh. also where they slept. So not weird at all. Yeah, yeah I don't like that. Yeah, let us watch you sleep. Hey, strangers, want to come into our room? <laughs> come behind the curtain. No, no, thank you. So, yeah, the smaller living quarters were hidden behind the wagon cover in the rear of the cabin, and that's where they actually lived. So, a lettered grocery sign was placed above the front door of the cabin, and Kate and Ma started cultivating a garden with fruit trees in an area north of the property in the hopes of growing an orchard. So, they were kind of trying to have, you know, fresh produce and that kind of stuff. Like it said that they were growing apple trees or trying to grow out apple trees. A very farm to table of them. Mm-hmm. So there were some places that just called it the Bender Inn or the Bender Store Inn. One place called it the Wayside Inn. So it was known okay. by different names, but it was basically the Bender property. They should have called it the Bender Bed and Breakfast. Yeah. The Bender B&B. Yeah. The Triple B. The Triple B. I'm going to call it that. Yeah. The Triple B was operated from winter 1871 to spring of 1873 and saw quite a bit of business since it was only 100 yards, I don't know what that is, south of the Wasage Trail, which was a popular route from Fort Scott to Independence via St. Paul and the only Mm -hmm. road open at that time to the west. So like I said earlier. Oh, yeah. So they would have a lot of people. Yep. And only one cop? I, I don't know. It's, they had space in the back. I don't know if it meant like they would double up in some spot. I, I don't want to speculate because that's just gross. So it'd be really funny if they made like it was more than one person. They had a spoon on the cot or like John Jr. had to spoon them and he was like giggling the whole night. Want to touch my mustache? <laughs> We can go sleep in the barn together in the hay. I dare you to touch my dad's beard. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture Pilot grunting a lot. It said like they really spoke super garbled German. Like people had a really hard time understanding what they said because they didn't speak any English. And it mm. was just like really thick German, which German's a terrifying language anyway. Right. So, so if you don't know what he's saying and he's staring at you with these beady eyes. And like sort and of gr- huge. Any sort of grunting German at you, I'd be, yeah. I'd be terrified. I'd be like, I'm going to take my chances with the Native Americans and the death grass. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Travelers would stop to purchase provisions such as liquor, tobacco, gunpowder, horse feet, and other dry goods, as well as a meal, feed their horses, and on occasion stay the night rather than brave the wilderness alone, you know, camp out. Yeah. Some would find themselves enchanted by Kate's beauty and natural charms, allowing her to draw them in with her psychic and healing abilities. She could even cure illness and simple maladies for a generous donation, of course. Oh, of course. And this would have all been completely normal had the disappearances not started. Uh You know, death grass and threat of indigenous people 
and taking their land. And, you know, I don't know, wells, falling in wells, high risk. Wild bison, you know. <laughs> it's just like one well with a bunch of people in it. <laughs> help me, help. <laughs> Where's Lassie when you need him? All right. So travel west, especially alone, was dangerous business. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to go missing and not be heard from again. Yep. And it wasn't unusual for men to die after being attacked and robbed by bandits, after a skirmish with the local Native American tribes, not to mention accidents and good old-fashioned disease. I love those smallpox blankets. Yep. I'm just picturing, like, the Oregon Trail when it's like, so-and-so died of dysentery. Rattlesnake bite. Yep. Cholera. News was slow to travel through the new territories, as mail and other news could take weeks or months at a time to arrive, so disappearances weren't always discovered until much later. Yeah, so start being ungrateful about two-day shipping, people. Yeah, you could have gone, like, two months without hearing anything or getting anything. Have you ever gotten something from Wish? It's like that. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot I bought this. You bought something for a nickel and you get it three months later. Yep, there's a reason it's so cheap. <laughs> it's just brought by pigeon. It is. It's like by pelican. They just load up their <laughs> their mouths. <laughs> Records during this time noted that travelers would soon go missing along with their horses, wagons, and personal property as they passed through Labette County. Many of these travelers were men carrying large sums of money as they moved through the territory to purchase machinery and livestock on their way to settle their own parcels of land. Makes sense. Couldn't really have a secured buggy mm-hmm. at that time. Ye old iron wagon. Yep. Some would be traveling with large numbers of horses, which they would trade for the land since horses were quite valuable in their own right, even better than money in some instances. Mm-hmm. Reports of missing people started to increase over the years. And in the spring of 1873, a meeting of some 75 people from surrounding areas in the Wasage Township was called to the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse to address the issue. The people of Southeast Kansas were getting fed up with the Wasage Township, spreading horrible rumors about the occupants and how other communities were suffering as a result of all of these disappearances in the area. Mm. So basically other territories and townships around around Wasage County were like, what the fuck, you guys? Like, people mm. are not going to come visit us anymore. They're going to go the long way around and all die because they don't want to come here. Well, and they need their money. They need their business. Yeah, exactly. We're going to die, too. Yep. Screw you guys. The gathering came to a head at the mention of the disappearance of Dr. William H. York. Dr. Mm. York was listed as missing in their area of the Wasage Trail as he was returning from Fort Scott on March 9th, 1873. You may be wondering why the disappearance of Dr. York was more noteworthy than any of the others who had gone missing. Well, he was a doctor. He was a doctor, but he also happened to have two very powerful brothers, Colonel Edward York and Kansas Senator Alexander York. Two powerful brothers that were going to find out what happened to their brother, no matter what. Makes sense. They had the money, they had the means. Yep. Angry as beans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of them today. You are. You're welcome. You're welcome, Internet. Breathe it, breathe it in, Internet. Breathe in that fresh, death grass air. Poor <laughs> Bill. <laughs> More like Borophil. <laughs> Dr. York had stayed with the Benders previously and noted in a letter to his brother Edward that he planned to enjoy their hospitality again during his return trip. When he never made it back home, Colonel York set out to find him. That makes sense that they would look there first then. 
Yeah. A search warrant was drawn up, allowing every farmstead between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek to be investigated in an effort to locate the missing doctor. Wow. That is a lot of pull. Coincidentally, John Bender Sr. and Jr. were also at this meeting, a fact that would become important three days later. Mm. Is it like the murderer checking it out? Yep. Going to the town hall meeting, and then when you watch the footage and you see their face in the crowd, you're like, <laughs> Yep. So prior to this meeting with the 75 people in the township, the Benders had been questioned by the colonel himself on March 28, 1873. And even though they admitted to the doctor staying with them previously, they noted that it's possible he had been delayed on his return trip as a result of an encounter with the local Native Americans. Feasible, but... The colonel agreed that it was entirely possible and joined them for dinner before resuming his search for his brother. Colonel York returned to the Bender property on April 3rd with armed men to further question the family after speaking with a woman who claimed to have been threatened with pistols and knives when she visited the inn. Ma vehemently claimed that the woman was a witch and that, quote, she would kill her if ever she came near them again, end quote. He's really fun. Mm-hmm. Wow. And she just said this freely in front of a senator and armed men. In front of the colonel and his armed men. The colonel. Oh, even better. Yep. Awesome. So three days after this encounter, their neighbor, Billy Toll, was driving his cattle past the Bender Inn when he happened to notice that the animals on the Bender property looked to be starving. After stopping to look around, he noticed a starved calf in the pen and went to the inn to figure out why the animals were being mistreated. It probably won't surprise you to learn that the cabin was abandoned with no sign of any of the Benders in sight. Mm. Toll quickly sounded the alarm, but a proper investigation couldn't take place for several days due to the weather. A search was led by elected township officer Leroy Dick, along with men from Montgomery and Labette counties. A cursory search of the property didn't show anything out of the ordinary, except for the the store seemed like it, would, it was kind of ransacked a little bit, which... Okay, like somebody... Know. Well, that could have been anybody if they were missing it, and... Exactly. It could have been someone just crime of opportunity. Yep. So it didn't show anything out of the ordinary, that is, until a trap door in the floor located behind the curtain that separated the store from the living quarters was opened. Uh-oh. Trap doors generally aren't great. No, they're generally not. After removing the nails that kept the door closed and lifting the trap door by its leather hinges, a horrific stench hit the members of the search party. Awesome. Looking inside the discovered cellar, it was noted that it was filled with clotted blood. Great. So the decision was made to lift and move the cabin to further investigate under the house. What? Yeah, they just lifted up the house and moved it. Oh, that would not have been my first choice. I don't, that's. Yeah, it must have been very, I don't think they had foundations then. So I'm sure it would have been very easy to just lift up a house and move it. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I suppose too, like electricity and lights weren't really. Yeah, it was just like, it was just like a wood house. Like it's not. Yeah. There wasn't much to it, so I'm sure it wasn't super difficult to just lift it up. And I'm not saying like, oh, all these men just like grabbed a, a corner and they were like, one, two, three, and then just like right. walked over. That would have been really funny, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe they did. I don't know. <laughs> the Avengers of the Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> And this guy covered in like frying pans comes through as like Iron Man and he's like, I will investigate. Instead of Iron Man, he's like, um Tin Can Iron Man. Man. <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> he's Iron Man. And he actually can't help because he's weighed down so much. <laughs> this is I thought this was a really good idea until I realized how happy this is. 
<laughs> I can't lift his arms because of the, all the cast iron pans on it. He's like, my head hurts. <laughs> I need to take this off. I lay down on death grass for a minute. Hold on. I just need to take a breather. <laughs> so nothing else was found under the house itself. And the search was about to be abandoned when Colonel York happened to notice a strange depression in the ground of the nearby apple orchard. Oh, no. It wasn't long before volunteers began digging in the garden slash orchard, which neighbors commented seemed to always be freshly plowed. Not necessary. No, the first victim to be found was that of Dr. York, whose body was buried face down with his feet barely covered. His skull appeared to be smashed in by a hammer and his throat had been slit from ear to ear. Oh, either of those deaths would not have been fast. No. Ugh. The following day, the search party would unearth the bodies of nine more victims who appeared to have been murdered in the same fashion, although some of them had also been dismembered after their death. I don't know why, but I just thought of like the son giggling while he was dismembering them. And I'm, uh, I'm now upset with everything. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> Yeah. One of the volunteers that day christened the orchard Hell's Half Acre, a name that stuck as news began to be reported on the crimes committed at the Bender property. Alexander York, Dr. York's brother who lived in Independence and was a state senator for Kansas, offered a $1,000 or around $22,000 today reward for information that would lead to the arrest of the Bender family. And on May 17th, Governor Thomas Osborne added another 2000 or around $44,000 today, to the pot for anyone able to apprehend all four of the benders. Wow. That would have been perfect if you were trying to go out there and settle. Yep. The Wilson County Free Press printed a story on May 15, 1873, detailing, quote, the Cherryvale tragedy, the most diabolical on record. Over 3,000 persons visited the scene of horrors on Sunday. All kinds of rumors afloat, end quote. Reporters from as far away as New York and Chicago quickly flooded the open prairie, eager for more information on Hell's Acre and the mysterious benders. It's noted that the murder house was disassembled, and by 1886, every piece of it had been taken away by macabre souvenir seekers, so that all that remained was the hole that once was the cellar. Damn. That just reminds me of the, that one where, like, people kept taking pieces of the cake in the house. Yes, the raisin cake, and then they had to yeah. eventually cover it up because they were like dude stop taking the death cake <laughs> that's disgusting yeah well and it also reminds me of um maria martin how people kept like taking her grave like mm -hmm. they would take away pieces of her grave so then they eventually had to like give her a new headstone yep people are so fucked up people are weird man i get wanting souvenirs but those like macabre super souvenirs are weird. Like, what are you going to tell your grandchild? This was a piece of wood from the house of the murderous benders. And they're like, cool, Grandpa, you're gross. Right. I whittled it into a bird. <laughs> Here have this bird. Murder bird. Murder, murder bird. Murder bird. Murder bird. Murder bird. Murder bird. Murder bird. It's surrounded by death grants. It just has one piece of death grass in its mouth. Yeah. They like weave a basket out of the murder grass cool. for the murder bird. Oh, they can make a nest out of the murder grass for the murder bird. Hmm. Missed opportunity. Yep. If you or your family members have a piece of murder wood from the winter, <laughs> <laughs> you should whittle a bird and make a, make a murder bird. So before I move on with the story, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the victims that were discovered on the property and the reasons they were killed. I bet the reasons were pretty dumb. 
Yep, you'd be right. All right. The first confirmed victim was that of Henry McKenzie, who disappeared in December of 1872 and was found mutilated on the property. It's unsure how much money he had on him, but reports vary from as little as 40 cents to as much as $2,000. He had been relocating to Independence from Indiana. Mm-hmm. The second confirmed victim confirmed victim was Ben Brown, who also went missing in 1872 and was found with his skull crushed and throat slit. He was apparently murdered for a measly $36 or $790 today and his team of horses. They murdered his horses? No, they took his team of horses. Oh, I was like, they murdered the horses too? (laughs) That's worse! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my reaction is that great. <laughs> like, not the ponies. I'm just sick and tired of watching like history reenactments and like the horses always get shot with arrows and guns and yep. ponies. Hashtag justice for ponies. <laughs> Next was W.F. McCrotty, a member of Company D of the 123rd Illinois Infantry who also mm-hmm. disappeared in 1872 and was found with a crushed skull and slit throat. He had $2,600 or $57,000 today on his person, most likely for purchasing land and a house. Damn. One of the saddest discoveries was that of George Lonker slash Lonker and his young daughter, Marianne, who went missing in 1873. Mm-hmm. Following the death of his wife, he and Marianne left Independence and were on their way to Iowa to resettle, but never arrived. They were discovered together in one grave, with George having suffered a crushed skull and slit throat, while his daughter appeared to have been buried alive alongside him fully clothed. No. The reason they were murdered? $38, or $833 today, a team of horses, and a nice wagon. The Kansas City Times had this to say of the sad discovery. Quote, the little girl was probably eight years of age and had long, sunny hair and some traces of beauty on the countenance that was not yet entirely disfigured by decay. One arm was broken, the breast bone had been driven in, the right knee had been wrenched from its socket, and the leg doubled up under the body. Nothing like this sickening series of crimes had ever been recorded in the whole history of the country, end quote. Well, I mean... Yeah. More horrible things probably would have happened, but that's incredibly atrocious and awful and terrible and bad. So I do want to note that in several places, it lists his daughter as being 18 months old. And I'm inclined to believe this based on census information from 1870 and Independence, where he lived with his wife, Mary Jane, who passed away at the age of 21. Their infant son, Robert, had passed in May of 1871 from pneumonia. And many people believe he was traveling to Iowa to live near his parents in Lee County. That would make sense just to have some help raising his daughter. Yep. Johnny Boyle was different from the rest as he was discovered in one of the wells on the Bender property after he'd gone missing in 1873. Oh, no, I wasn't serious. Yeah. (laughs) Shit. He had $1,900 or around $42,000 today on his person, most likely so he could purchase land. The body of John Greary was also found on the property with $2,000, which is around $44,000 today, but it's unclear when he went missing. Hmm. The bodies of an unknown man and woman, along with the dismembered parts of several other victims, were also found on the property. And Dr. William York, who was the most recent victim, 
was killed for $10 or $220 today, a nice horse and an $850 saddle, which is around $19,000 today. And he had also come to the area because he was looking for his friend, George Longer, and his young daughter. Who they just murdered before him. Yep. Awesome. All told, the Benders gained around $7,500, which would be around $165,000 today during their oh. crime spree. And many believe it was more about the thrill of the kill than the money that motivated them. That would make sense just because of the way they killed them. Mm-hmm. The way they killed them was very cruel and slow. Investigators quickly began to piece together the ways in which the benders committed their crimes. Guests would be encouraged to sit at the head of the table with their backs facing the wagon cover that separated the cabin. As they ate, the guests would be struck on the back of the head with a hammer before the trap door would be opened and the body dropped into the cellar where one of the benders would be waiting to slit the victim's throat and remove their clothes and any valuables they had on their person. The body would remain in the cellar until night when it would be taken out to the garden slash orchard and be buried. A lot of work. So each of these people that were found were naked, with the exception of the daughter. Soon after, travelers who had stopped at the Bender Inn started to come forward with tales of their chance encounters with the Benders, encounters that seemed to verify the modus operandi that investigators had hypothesized. One such traveler was Mr. Wetzel, who had visited the inn with a companion, and both men refused to sit at the head of the table. This refusal caused Ma to become angry and abusive towards Mr. Wetzel, and when he saw both John Benders emerge from behind the wagon cover, he and his friend quickly departed. Mm. A traveler named William Pickering told an eerily similar story, stating he refused to sit with his back against the canvas and its, quote, disgusting stains, at which point Kate threatened him with a knife, causing him to flee. Wow. That's, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, going to a place that already seems sketchy with two terrifyingly older German people grumbling at you, a man giggling in the corner, and then they want you to sit where there's a cloth that's stained. Yeah, I'm like, that's... If they didn't even try to cover up the blood from the previous head smashings. Nope. Jeez. Rumors began to spread regarding the Benders. They became a household name in 1873 after they ran from Lebec County and earned the moniker of the first mass murderers of the United States. Even though there were only 10 confirmed victims on the Bender property, it is believed that they committed as many as 21 murders. And although the large reward was never claimed, there were many accounts of the Benders being found and murdered. These tales include being found by a posse as they traveled south before being lynched, dismembered, and thrown into the Verdigris River. Another posse supposedly killed the benders in a gunfight and buried them in the prairie. Others claimed to have killed them while they were camping and burned the bodies. Detectives and law enforcement traveled across the township, investigated numerous people, and followed up on every lead and potential sighting. The Benders' abandoned lumber wagon and team of horses was discovered outside of Thayer City Limits, a town 13 miles north of the Bender Inn. I will look up how many kilometers that is. <laughs> or about 21 kilometers. Okay. The team included one lame horse, and it appeared as if they had been tied up and left to starve. They have a history of that, don't they? Yep. Awesome. It's been noted and widely believed that the Benders boarded a northbound train to Humboldt. This is corroborated by the passenger train conductor, Captain James B. Ransom of the Leavenworth, Lawrence, and Galveston Railroad, who verified seeing a family matching their descriptions. 
It's believed that John Jr. and Kate disembarked at Chanute before boarding the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railroad train south to Red River County near Denison, Texas, which was the end of the line in the area at that time. After that, it's believed they continued on to an outlaw colony in Texas or New Mexico. Ma and Pa reportedly stayed on the train to Humboldt, continuing north to Kansas City before purchasing tickets for St. Louis. Some rumors say that Ma murdered Pa soon after they fled, while others say that Pa committed suicide in Lake Michigan in 1884. It's entirely possible and even confirmed that the Benders weren't related at all, and that the only real familial connection was that between Ma and Kate, with Kate being her fifth child and originally born as Eliza Griffith. Ma, born Almira Hill Mark in the Adirondack Mountains, married Simon Mark, who was also the father of her 12 children. And I have no information on the other 11. I couldn't find anything anywhere. That's so crazy. Ma left her first husband after he died suddenly from, quote, a head wound. And she supposedly remarried several times, such as to George Griffith, whose name she continued to use, killing her subsequent husbands each time, as well as three of her older children, so they couldn't testify against her in court. Perfect. So Pa was born in the early 1800s as John Flickinger, and he'd emigrated from either Germany or Holland. John Jr. was born John Gebert, and it's believed that he and Kate were actually married or at the very least romantically involved. It's claimed that John's half-witted nature was all a ruse to hide his actual cunning. At some point, Kate had gotten married and went by the name of Sarah Eliza Davis before the four had come together as the Bender family. She supposedly became pregnant by Gephardt and upon the child's birth, disposed of it in the same fashion as many of the others that didn't survive their visit to the Bender Inn. In addition to being a clairvoyant, it's believed that Kate would also allow travelers the privilege of laying with her for a price. Oh, perfect. Great. Awesome. Yep. Other disappearances in Wasage County that have been attributed to the Benders include the death of a man known as Mr. Jones, whose body was found in May of 1871 with his skull crushed and throat cut in Drum Creek. The man who owned Drum Creek was originally suspected in the murder, but soon acquitted when there was no evidence to tie him to the crime. The bodies of two other men, discovered in February of 1872, had similar injuries, crushed skulls and slit throats, and were found on the prairie. Fun fact, even though it has been reported to be true, there is no proof that Pa Engel, from the Little House on the Prairie fame, took part in the search for the Benders. Although they did at one point in time live in Independence, near where George Lonker's family lived, they left Kansas in September of 1870 and were long gone before the first Bender family victims were discovered in February of 1873. Okay. Yeah, I remember that rumor. Yep. And that is the gruesome, terrifying, and unsolved mystery of the Bloody Benders. Ugh. Fact. Over 700 people have been killed by the hands of the police just this year alone. I'm Catherine Sheffield, host of the weekly podcast, A Few Bad Apples. Each week, I unravel true stories of victims whose lives have been affected by bad apple officers of the law. I bring this relevant conversation into the public spotlight because it's a way to provoke change and reform. Not all officers are bad. And in fact, I highlight a positive story at the end of every episode to balance the spectrum. A Few Bad Apples is available wherever you get your podcasts. So this week's podcast plug. (laughs) 
This week's plug is A Few Bad Apples podcast, written and hosted by Catherine Sheffield. A Few Bad Apples highlights crimes committed by the police in an effort to enact police reform. She does end each of her episodes with a short story of a quote-unquote good apple officer as a palate cleanser and example of what a good cop should be. That's nice. Yeah. And this week's listener question comes from Emily of the Pineapple Pizza Podcast slash Drink Drunk Dead. Mm -hmm. And she wants to know, if you couldn't do a true crime podcast, what other topic would you want to cover? Funny you say that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not announcing anything. But I had thought for a while of potentially doing like a podcast on diabetes and my experiences with it. I still might. I don't know. It's kind of hard doing it on your own. So we'll see. But that was something that I kind of wanted to talk about because when I was first diagnosed, there really wasn't anything that I could find that was that way of like people just able to talk about their experiences because with diabetes and other chronic illnesses, our experiences are usually very similar, but also different. So yeah, it's kind of strange. What about you? I've thought about this a little bit. I mean, obviously I do have a second podcast, Pineapple Pizza. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking the other day when I was like, I should make a third podcast before I was like, (laughs) you are a fucking idiot. (laughs) About like Grimm's fairy tales. Like just, like just kind of like reading, you know, myths and legends and things like that and having it be Mm -hmm. sort of like a, just a storytelling podcast. Yeah, that could be really fun. Maybe someday, but not anytime soon because uh, I'm busy enough. We can make it like a special, you know. Maybe. For Halloween or like Christmas when we don't want to record. Or like a Patreon something or other. Yeah. So. Still could be a thing. hmm So what's something good you'd like to share? Something good. Well, it was our parents' birthdays. Mm-hmm this week and it's just been really kind of a quiet week it was very nice um pretty relaxing and we got to eat this really delicious cake and i made another cake that it was a bundt cake and the way the batter ended up being it tasted like a cruller like a donut Hmm. Hmm. so it was really good but it was it was different and it was kind of fun to have like two totally different cakes because they have two totally different palettes so I don't know. It was just kind of nice. It's been very, 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 very cold here. So we've just been staying inside and it's been just kind of nice mm-hmm. hanging out. What about you? I'm very excited that our new audio equipment came, kind of test out this new setup. And so that's my something good. I'm thankful for the people that helped us get here. Yeah. So you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod. On Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. We are on YouTube. There is a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions or anything else you'd like to share on the show. You can leave us a five-star rating and review, which is a great way to support the show if you would like to help out but can't do so mm-hmm. financially. Here's a recent review from Hell Mel of the Cold Truth Podcast. And she says, well, if you get the wrong kind of wind, five stars. You guys have great chemistry. The ability to keep old true crime fresh and interesting is not an easy task. Mad props. Oh, thank you. It's all Lindsay, but like, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take that compliment. Put it in my pocket. (laughs) It's also mine. (laughs) 
If you'd like to leave a one-time donation, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee. Speaking of Buy Me a Coffee, I would like to once again thank everyone who donated to our audio equipment fund, such as Emily from Drink Drunk Dead, Kara, mm-hmm. Christina from Crime Lore, Bernadette from Murderific, Mark, Indie Drop-In, Madeline from Crematorium, Glaza from Classical Adventures for One, Brad from the Doomsday Podcast, Shannon and Christina from the One Crime at a Time Podcast, Carol, Paul and Ryan from Cold Collars Comedy, Kim and Lark from Kudzu Killers, and Aaron from I Had to Say It Podcast. And the thing that I alluded to at the top of the episode, as a special thank you, we are going to be creating and dedicating episodes that they have requested as a special mm-hmm. thank you, the first of which will be starting next week. So stay tuned for that. We are super excited to do that. And actually, some of the cases are ones that I've never heard of before. So I am excited to do that research. Yeah. It'll be awesome. It should be really fun. If you'd like to support us on a monthly basis, you can do so by joining our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That's so cheap. I know. You can also support us by purchasing merch on our Tee Public store. There is a sale going on this week starting today, February 10th through the 12th. Woohoo! Get 35% off all our merch. And with that, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. <laughs>